Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. So honored, and don't take it lightly to stand here today. And I um, even said first service, I don't apologize for the scriptures that um, we're going to go through a lot of scriptures today and just thankful for the word of God and want to share the word of God with you today. How many uh, people here today have cash on them, the, the green currency that we used to pay for things for a lot? Okay, wow. All right. This is something to note. Pastor Tom's second service has more cash on them. Okay, in case any of the remote or, and the transactions can't work online, we always know Second Service has more paper on them. So, um, but we are living in a time that a younger generation is about to or has been, just depending on how your family operates. It's this cashless society. Those are words that we've been Using, we are very much leaning on these small uh, rectangular plastic pieces that we hold in our wallets. I don't know if anybody has just one anymore, but majority of people are operating cashless in society today. And so the title of my sermon, what I want to talk about today, is unfortunately what this generation or this time in life, we're not seeing as much anymore. In God, we trust. In God, we trust. And for those, um, hold on to some classic movies. This is also a, a famous piece of material used on Miracle on 34th Street. It saved old Santa Claus himself in the courtroom. It's a good movie just to believe in wholeheartedly. I, I think it's a good one. So I'd like to give a little bit of uh, history and background today on this motto and these words that we're looking at here on the screen. Most Americans know it appears on U.S. currency, but it didn't become the national motto until 1956. Prior to that, our unofficial slogan was the decidedly less religious E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. Adopted back in 1782 when Charles Thompson designed the great seal of the United States, according to the Treasury Department. In God We Trust was first added to the two-cent piece in 1864, largely because of the increased religious sentiment existing during the Civil War. No nation can be strong except in the strength of God or safe except In his defense, Treasury Secretary Salmon P. Chase wrote to U.S. Mint Director James Pollock in 1861, The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. Pollock tried a few different versions of phrases invoking the deity, and finally he and Chase settled on, in God we trust. Congress passed the Coinage Act of 1864, paving the way for the phrase to start being stamped on coins. It actually disappeared from the nickel in 1883, not reappearing until 1938. It was also missing from the Eagle Gold Coin when it debuted in 1907, but was added the following year. The phrase was appeared or has appeared on every quarter minted since 1908, every penny since 1909, and every dime since 1916. But in God we trust really didn't pick up steam until the 1950s. At the height of an anti-communist fervor in America, the same time one nation under God was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. Politicians in both parties were eager to make a clear distinction between God-fearing America and the godless society, or the godless Soviet Union, excuse me. 
1956 law signed by President Dwight Eisenhower made in God we trust the national motto. It also declared that the phrase must appear in capital letters on all paper money. In these days when imperialistic and materialistic communism seeks to attack and destroy freedom, we should continually look for the ways to strengthen the foundations of our freedom, Representative Charles Edward Bennett said when he introduced the bill. A resolution from the House Judiciary Committee claimed it would be of great spiritual and psychological value to our country to have a clear designated national motto of inspirational quality in plain, popular, accepted English. In God we trust first showed up on the $1 bill in 1957, and by 1966, it was on all U.S. currency. From the beginning of time, there has been a battle between the world that we live in and where the prince of darkness holds residence versus pure righteousness, peace, and the truth of God. In the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, In terms of humanity, there were only two of us represented there. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. I'd like to highlight these words in here, nor shall you touch it, and go back a chapter into Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17. We see here God, the creator, talking to only Adam. Only Adam. Eve is not here yet. It's not till a couple verses later than the Lord. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Verse 16 of chapter 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In God's words to Adam, nothing was said about touching the fruit. Here I'd like to submit to us in this moment that it might seem like a small thing, but we all know that when we're speaking, saying something, texting something, if a word is not included accidentally or included accidentally, we won't even get into autocorrect, because I don't want to talk about cussing, that it makes a big difference. If we then take into consideration the Word of God, there are words you can study in the Word of God that have significant meaning, verse after verse, correlation, Cross-referencing, it continues on and on as we look at the significance of a word that's used in the Bible. But nothing about touching the fruit was mentioned from God to Adam. So the conflict in the words between God and Eve here are a problem, and Eve is not the one that's correct. Anything, anything that is not true to the word of God or opposite of the word of God or is not exact of the word of God is not truth. I'd even say in this context today that it's a lie. If it's not spoken by God, it's a lie. If it's something that's been added only by humanity, it does not hold truth. So it's not what God said, then it's not the truth. Here we have our beginning Conflict. Here we have the first lie of humanity, if you'll allow me to think through this part here today. 
Then we look back to chapter 3, verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit. She was the one that had shared the thought, I can't touch this fruit. She took of it in this moment and ate. So all of a sudden it was fine. All of a sudden the whisper and the lie of the devil had taken root, had walked her over to this place, didn't force her to do anything, but all of a sudden this consideration that I could be like God, all of a sudden this consideration that why would he hold this fruit from us was twirling in her mind and had suddenly take root in her being. She also gave to her husband with her. I don't want to throw Sister Teresa under the bus. As my Sunday school teacher, oh boy, tell her to stay seated out there. Security, (laughs) security. Oh, she's back. I don't know why, but it wasn't until right now I'm processing the fact and I pictured either in my young mind a long time ago and just held on to the story. I didn't picture Adam standing there. But when I read with her, if you ask, hey, was anybody with them, you picture them within a reach, probably six feet now, but you picture them within distance of them. They came there with them to the place that you're speaking of. So he's with her. Adam's standing there with Eve as she takes of the fruit, as she takes a bite and hands it then to him. She, for humanity, has taken part of the first lie and he part of the first rebellion against what God had asked us to do. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. The first reading of humanity in guilt and in shame trying to hide what we've done wrong. And when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Did God know where they were? So a side note here, even when we have believed a lie, even when we've stepped out of the boundaries, even when we're living in rebellion, God is still seeking for relationship. God is still seeking for fellowship with us. It's not him that walks away. He steps in, trailing our path, looking in the area that we are, calling for us, where are you? The serpent, Satan, tempted Eve by getting her to doubt God's goodness. He implied that God was strict, stingy, and selfish for not wanting Eve to share his knowledge of good and evil. Satan made Eve forget all that God had given her and instead focused on what God had forbidden. We fall into trouble too when we dwell on what God forbids rather than on the countless blessings and promises he has given us. The next time you're feeling sorry for yourself and what you don't have and what you think you should not be doing and you think you're missing out on, consider all that you do have. Consider what you should be thankful for to God. Adam and Eve got what they wanted though, an intimate knowledge of both good and evil, but they got it by doing evil. There's a lot of things that we may want in life and pray and ask God to help us with, but we know plain and simple that our timing is not God's timing. We know when a child wants something and it's not the best for them, when they're too young to have something that is only for different maturity, we put the labels on toys age 
three and up. This is a practice in our society. No different than us as a child of God. But God says that true freedom comes from obedience and knowing what not to do. God gives us restriction to keep us from evil. We have the freedom to walk in front. Okay, stay with me. We have the freedom to walk in front of a moving car. Okay, Dr. Scheidler's in the house today. I don't want him thinking I'm encouraging anybody to do this, but if you could just stick around a little bit later afterwards in case somebody takes us too far. But none of us, I don't have to stand or walk in front of a moving car to know that it's going to hurt when I get hit. I don't need to get hit by it to realize that was a bad decision. I already know ahead of time. I know from others' mistakes. I know from, I guess, common sense. Are we all in agreement that this wouldn't be a good idea? So we can say common sense. We're not excluding anybody in the building right now, and we're good. So common sense would tell us this is not a good idea. Satan used a sincere motive to tempt Eve. He said, you will be like God. Okay, give her some small credit here. Is that not something as Christians we're striving to do, to be Christ-like? Are we not made in the image of God? Do we not look at the qualities and values that God has taught us, that Jesus showed on this earth, that said we need to be Christ-like, we need to strive to do so? So somewhere in our humanity, in our fellowship, we know as Christ is the prime example, this is something that we're reaching for. But Satan deceived Eve by trying to go about this the wrong way. Satan basically told Eve, you can become more like God by defying God and defying God's authority, by taking God's place and deciding for yourself what is best for yourself and what's best for your life. Satan basically told her she could become her own God. We have a worthy goal, but there is no way to cheat how to get there. The only way, the only way is to trust in God. So I ask you today, are you saying in God we trust? So be careful as we look at this example of Adam and Eve. 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. This is his goal. This is his passion in life as he roams the earth is to try to get us to do what? To be tempted. He can't make us make the decisions, but he tries to put things in front of us. He tries to whisper these lies, encourages us to believe there's a different way to cheat and to get ahead on these things. John 10.10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come, though, he says, that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. The lies of the devil, they'll plant a seed in your life. They'll build up walls in your life. Anything that's said out of the alignment of the word of God or against the word of God is a lie. And if you believe it, if you, we're going to hear it, we're going to hear it, but if you believe it, if you take hold, if you let that seed take root, if you begin to ponder and think and speak on it, it does what? A battle begins to rage in your mind, and sometimes one we cannot control. And it should be no surprise to us as we read in Genesis today that it's going to be a challenge. The first humans, the very first ones, failed. But I'm here to tell you that when we fail, when we struggle, there's only one place to look. There's only one place 
for hope. There's only one place that holds answers. And we have the word of God to remind ourselves of this. In Psalms 139, I'm going to read this whole verse, but it's God's knowledge of man. God's knowledge of man should be a verse that we should read often, should be a verse that we look to for encouragement, should be a verse that we remind ourselves and how God thinks of us. Psalms 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee in, from, in, from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God knows me coming going, knows me from the inside to the out. Every word that I've said, every thought that I think, any place that I go, God is with me. If I take, verse 9, the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, that, and that my soul knows very well. My frame has not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet Unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum, the totality of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. For me, everybody say, for me. This is just for each one of us individually. That's God's thoughts towards me. That's God's time towards me. Knew me in my mother's womb. Knows my inward parts, my thoughts, my words. Be encouraged today. When I wake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from me, therefore you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O oh Lord, who hate you? And I do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way ever lasting. If I know what the word of God says, what do I do with the lies of the enemy? What do I do as life pressures us sometimes, backs us into corners, causes us to sidestep the normal path that we were going to be on? When we don't really know, is that just something I thought up? Is that something that's really happening, but somewhere, somewhere in here, somewhere in here, there's a battle constantly raging on. There's a battle of questioning that's happening. And what do I do when I begin to think on these things? What do I do when these thoughts come to me? Second Corinthians verse 10, it says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid, when face to face with you, but bold toward you when went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons, verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, okay? I've got a different version in my notes. Thank you, Forrest, for telling me. On our verse here, right, with a new key, the pulling down of strongholds. We were talking about this earlier. When you believe a lie, 
When you believe a lie, when you've let these things that are not true, that do not line up with the word of God, that are not part of God, you've added something to, you believe something else because something's happened to you. Strongholds begin to rise up around you. No one can bring resources into a kingdom that's cut off. Walls are up. Nutrients can't come into the source that's in the center any longer. Demolish strongholds in divine power. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive. We take captive. Every thought is brought into captivity to the obedience of the word of God. That means when you are thinking about something, that means when that thought is floating around in your mind, You do what? You take captive. Bring that thought down and speak to that thought. Bring that idea down that you know is not of God and speak to that thought. Am I not loved? I am loved. Devil, you're saying lies. These are lies. This is not anything that's of truth. You don't even have to talk to the devil. Speak to the air. Speak to God in that moment and say, this is not true. I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm beautiful. I know that I'm not ugly. I'm made as a child of God. God knows my every thought. He knows my going away and my coming to. He knows my rising up and when I lay down. God knows me inside and out. I know I'm not abandoned. I know I'm not alone. Grab that thought and pull it down in that moment. Lies and thoughts are not of God, but they create spiritual warfare in our mind. And instead of believing God's truth, we find ourselves wrestling with these lies of the world. A stronghold is a lie that contradicts the power of Christ. And a stronghold builds a fortress, as we were saying. That's why the verse is the pulling down of stronghold. This verse says to captivate every thought to make it obedient. Hold that lie. Hold that lie and question of the devil until you break it down, until you pull it down. Because why? Because all things, everybody say all things, all things are possible with God. Speak to it. Speak to it with a verse of promise. Read Psalms 1 39 to just get started and tear down these strongholds. To fight this, though, you need what? You need the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you, might be, you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the games of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with you, which will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me the utterance may be given to me that I may be open by open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak and when you've been armed with the armor of God for battle then the bible tells us to do what to meditate to meditate Joshua Moses is passing God is having a moment with Joshua. It's finally time to do what? To move on to the land that they were promised, armed and ready, knowing that what? Anything that God gives us that's worth uh, the promise that he's got, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be worth us fighting for. And so Joshua, the children of Israel, they're ready. Verse 6 
of chapter one, it says, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Sometimes, only when we face challenges, every once in a while when it's convenient, no, you shall meditate on the word of God day and night, and you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You're armed. You're armed now. God is telling you to meditate on these things. He's telling you that he's with you. And if God is with you, from Matthew 19, we know as Jesus spoke to the disciples, uh, chapter 19, verse 23, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, when his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible. Joshua, you've spent this time. You guys are equipped. You're ready. The anticipation is great. You've got the armor of God. Yet still, yet still, you need God on your side. This is still not possible with just man alone. With men, this is possible, but with God, all things are possible. What then will we do with everything that we hear or think as we go throughout life, as we go through today? As we read these verses, as we think of the trials, as you sit there today and you wonder and you process maybe some challenges that you're facing or that you've been facing for years, we all know that life is not a game. This is not some type of trick. There's no tricks to get ahead and to move around things, but it's constantly a test asking the same question, who and what will we serve? As any test would have us looking for answers, we find ourselves back to the word of God as Christians, reading of God's instruction, guidance, and love for us, waiting to see if our answer, God's waiting to see if our answer will be based on that motto, in God, in God I trust. The hope of the faithful and the Messiah's victory rings true in Psalm 16 as David writes, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my goodness is nothing apart from you. Then David continues in Psalms 37, speaking of the heritage of the righteous, the calamity of the wicked. Psalms 37, verses 1 through 9, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass. Don't worry about those, Eve, that are taking shortcuts to try to get what they think they want. Wait on the Lord. Live a life of faithfulness. Live a life of righteousness and wither as the green herb as they are doing. Trust in the Lord. Verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, for it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit 
the earth. Throughout history, throughout the Bible, a very simple theme, we see two sides to one line. The wicked are those who reject the Messiah. The wicked are those who reject the story of Christ. The righteous are those on the other side, though, who do what? Not an action, but just who trust in the Messiah. Those who trust in the Messiah. Psalms 1, 1 tells us the way of the righteous. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God. In his law he meditates, we see it again, meditates day and night on the word of God. He shall be like a tree, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Again, in Jeremiah 17, we see this concept, as David wrote in Psalms, like a tree planted by a stream. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed is the man who trusts and puts his faith in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. Today, I'm telling us that you're going to put roots somewhere in life. If you lean on your own understanding, if you trust in yourself, if you lean on the understanding of man, you're going to put roots in the desert places where there's no nourishment, but that's where you'll be placed in a departed place from the Lord in a place where it says at the end of six, in a salt land which is not inhabited. But verse seven said, blessed is the man who does what? Who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the water and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, test the mind. We've been saying God's testing us. This is a test. Even to give away or to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Again, I remind us today that this path, this journey, this purpose that we're living out is possible because all things are possible with God, with God. And I know it's difficult for us. I know that when God has all the power in heaven and on earth, and there's moments in our life when we seem to feel like he's not answering my prayer, It seems like a very simple request. It's something that you've read that God's done in the Bible. It's something that you've heard God do for another family before, but he doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe there's some type of sin in my life. Maybe... God has a different plan than the one we're praying for. Nowhere, everybody say nowhere. Nowhere in scripture does it say that we have to defend or explain what God does or does not do. That is not our job as his creation to explain or defend what he's done or what he's not doing. We just have to know that he knows what he's doing. That wasn't even easy to say, but 
it's always easier to say that than think it, right? As the musicians are starting to get ready, I want to share a, a, a personal story that is something that God had revealed to me just recently, recently being this past Monday as we were in our revival service with evangelist uh, Brother David Bryan. And it had to do uh, in correlation and in, in the thought process of uh, my mom passing away. And I, I, didn't, I didn't think Monday night that I, I would be sharing this. In fact, a funny story, when Pastor Tom reached out to me about moving around, I was preaching, I thought I had accepted to work guest reception. Here we are. Um, but I was glad we had that moment of clarity. So when the summer, about four and a half years ago, the summer that my mom uh, received cancer, uh, or the diagnosis of cancer, I, and, and for those of you that don't know my, my family's story, my brother is sitting here today, the, when we were kids, I was 16 years old, our dad passed away of a massive heart attack, and it was a very traumatic uh, situation for us. And which any loved one passing, but especially, you know, you go, people that have gone through that process or something's unexpected. Um, you know, he woke me up that morning. I'm trying to help him up steps. And I, this is a person that I had done, had been running next to doing triathlons with the previous two months in a row before this moment. And now he can't walk up steps. And just the whole morning and moment, very live and real still to me today, um, 20 years later, as I think back or walk through this time in my life, and you just look at life differently. It, it doesn't have to be something passing, but any traumatic situation we go through as humans in life, we really do view life differently. And so from that experience, obviously that brought back a lot of emotion when our mom uh, was diagnosed with cancer and was watching her struggle and work through uh, just the sickness and, and in these moments. But I, I, I don't know the exact moment. I just remember thinking this and then talking to people about it. But I, I finally had concluded kind of after the shock was over and, and quickly within these 12 weeks that I did not believe that God was going to heal her. And it wasn't, I didn't have this, I didn't feel this rebellious moment. I didn't feel this moment that I was giving up on God. I knew that God could heal her. Like, I believe that. I believe God could heal her. But I just, I just felt like, and I would say to people, I've been through this before. She's going to die. And that small seed that I allowed to get planted into my heart in that moment took root like I never would have expected it to. For me, personally, you may hear that and think, okay, that's not a crazy thought. I've gone through a similar situation with a loved one and, and felt the same way. But for me, in that moment, I let that squelch and press down and limit my faith for the past four and a half years that I didn't even see at moments. But in the moments of struggle, in the moments of processing life, in the moments of thinking through my future and, and thinking through, if you'll let me, my occupation as a, a minister and just our normal just fellowship with God and, and just trying to do life, right? Just trying to do life I, I, I kept coming up against a wall. I kept hitting these times of depression. I kept running into things where I'm, I'm like, I don't know why I'm here again. I don't know what has taken over me. I don't know what is, is, is taking root in my life that causes me to be back at this point where I don't have enough faith to get past it. And sitting where Brother Ben is sitting on Monday night, as Brother Brian was speaking, and it was nothing specific that he said. He, 
he said something else, and, and, and I had been praying about this because I had had another moment recently, and I had been telling God, I'm, I'm sick of feeling this way. I'm sick of going through this over and over. I'm just tormenting myself, processing this mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I don't want to keep coming back to this point. And God told me in that moment, you said and you said that I and believe that I was not going to heal your mom. And in that moment, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I didn't know what else to do, but I walked. Everybody had come to the altar, and I just knelt down by that pillar and I began to sob, and I just started to ask God for forgiveness. Because it wasn't about whether or not God was going to do it. That wasn't for me to decide. It's, it wasn't for me. I wasn't looking or maybe somewhere in my humanity and our mind that can stray and the lie we can believe. I was wanting to understand why God didn't. I, I don't know, but I let it get out of hand and I let it take root and take me to a place that had caused so much confusion and turmoil inside of my life that I was dealing with year after year, month after month. And I kept coming to this place, but I didn't believe that God was going to heal her. And that's what I had settled on. And it took root in a way that has really caused a lot of difficulty for me in these past four and a half years. But I'm thankful for this revelation. I'm thankful for this moment of hope as God spoke so clearly to me on Monday to know that God did not fail. God didn't fail, so my, my faith has been affected, but it wasn't my faith that failed. This was God's hand working on this. You can stand with me today. As we face these situations in life, and I don't know where you're at in life, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to think back or, or wonder if there is something. That's not the pressure of this moment. The, the moment is just to know and to realize that as we are facing things, as things come back up in our life or in these moments, that God hasn't changed. God hasn't weakened. God hasn't fell asleep or forgotten us as we read some of these verses, God is still moving. Don't give up or walk out on God. It's time to pray again about that situation. That's what I want to encourage us today. It's time to pray again about that situation. It's time to put your faith back in God over an issue or to something you're being challenged by. It's time to believe again that God can move in a way only he can do and you're fine with whichever way it goes. Hold on to your faith and trust in God. Our faith is rarely tested when God does what we want. If God was always answering our prayers, do we ever give a child everything they ask for? If you do, um, talk to Dr. Shiler. I'm so glad you're here today. This is working out. It's not something that we would do, and it's not something that, that God would do for us because why? His ways are greater than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He has a perspective that we do not have. Remember, God is God, and we are not. God doesn't expect us to understand He's just asking us to trust him. In God, we trust. People who trust God obey God. And when you're obeying God, you're not trying to see if you can understand it. You're just doing what he's asked you to do. And God wants what's good for us. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In God we trust. In God we trust. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word today.
I thank you for the scriptures that you have given us. I thank you for the insight in, in scripture and that it's not just a, a book of people making these great decisions constantly and something that we don't feel like that we can live up to, God, but it's, it's very real. Life is very real. The challenges can be very real. The struggles that we face. But your word, oh God, your word, oh God, is an ever-present help to us. Help us to lean on it, God. Help us to find ourselves back looking at the scriptures and the promises that you have given to us. Lord, your word reminds us that you knew us before and when we were created in our mother's womb. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for the ability to trust in you. God, give me the strength and the wisdom to captivate thoughts, to not let them build up a stronghold in my life and cut off the resources that you so willingly and openly give to us, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Could you just lift your hands where you're at right now? Could you say, I trust in you, God. I trust in you, God. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.